Today's episode of Bags and Brisby is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 56 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And episode 56, let's see, that's the Andres Torres episode, and I guess the Tony Watson episode, correct? Ooh, good number. Yeah, I think Andres Torres has to lay claim to the to, to 56. That's, uh, that's a pretty good one. You cannot think of Andres Torres without just a big grin spreading across your face, at least in my case. Yeah, no, I like I've said on the before on the podcast, uh, I, I had the opportunity to be on TV with him to, to meet him and uh, he smells better than he dresses. I keep saying that and I just want people to believe me. He like has oh. a cologne that is just it's smell like smells like his wardrobe and his wardrobe is always fantastic. So he's he's got to be going nuts though with this whole thing because I've never met anyone in my life who enjoys shaking hands more than Andres Torres. He will shake your hand five times in a 15 minute span. I kid you not. And uh, so what is he doing? I, I, I'm, I'm guessing he's really struggling with the lack of a personal connection here. You know, and this is a number that w- it was worn by Dante Powell in 2001 and Jason Ellison uh, from 2003 to two- 2005. So it's like Andres Torres is the final form. You know, he is he is the one who has promised with Dante Powell. He is the toolsy, rangy center fielder that did just about everything you asked him to. So Andres Torres, he finally brought that number to what it had been building for for years. So good on him. Good giant. Good giant. Andres yeah. Torres. And came back from an appendectomy in like four days. Uh, right <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing stuff. All right. We're here to talk about fun stuff. This is the fun episode of Bags and Brisby. This is an episode about championship seasons. You know, Giants fans can't shut up about it, and you shouldn't feel bad about this. This is, uh, for one, Giants fans were most definitely not spoiled for most of their San Francisco history. Most of San Francisco history was pain. And you could have great seasons, you could have Hall of Famers, you could have Mays, McCovey, Cepeda, and it would always end in pain. And then when those guys weren't around, it was a lot of pain and a lot of bad baseball. So never feel guilty about talking up these three championship seasons because they were fun, they were hilarious. Uh, But today we're going to talk about... I don't know, picking a favorite. And I don't think we can pick a favorite. And you're going to have a much different perspective because you are writing or you're going to talk from the perspective of covering a team. But you have to sort of lean towards one of them as this this kind of fit where I was in my career or my life. Like this, this one fit was a little bit rounder of a peg in that round hole. So do you have a favorite or are they all just your beautiful, exhausting children? 
Well, yes, there is the 1888 World Series over the St. Louis Browns, which the Giants <laughs> won uh, in the best of series. And then there was the 1889 Series over the Brooklyn Bridegrooms. I've done break copious, break copious amounts of research on this, and I've decided that- Divers research. Divers research you've done. <laughs> Roger Connor was just such a force of nature in that uh, 1889 Series that I'm going to have to go with, with that one. But uh, um, no, it's you know what it, it it is cool. I've been watching Ken Burns's baseball, um, and I'm I'm through three the first three episodes, and they are long. They are very very long. But yeah. then when they start going through, uh, you know, giving you these little uh, windows of you know what once baseball is established, and, and they've gotten through all of the back history of it, and um, and now they're moving into here's Ty Cobb and and here's Walter Johnson. Then it just seems like it's going fast. Every single portion, yeah. it's like no, I want to hear more about that. No, I want to hear more about how taking out to the ball game was uh, was was first uh, composed, you know. And they get it done in like three minutes. You realize if they had like done deep dive on all these little things, uh, it it would have been like interminable. It would have lasted forever. But I, I I say that as a way of 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 kind of uh, getting into the point of you know I'm sort of reconnecting with with Giants New York Giants history, and it's fascinating. It's really fascinating to to sort of. Hear about the character studies of the John McGraws and the Melots and the High Pockets Kellys, and, um, and 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 it's fun to think of you know some of the eras of Giants baseball that were you know really dynasties back then as well before the Yankees even came into existence. That was New York's team, and uh, and and yeah, like you said, our our generation and and, and fans now have their own dynasty and their own cast of characters who are going to be just very very legendary for as long as. Uh, we inhabit this earth, and we'll think of Tim Lincecum and and uh, and you know random people like Cody Ross and and uh, uh, so yeah, I I don't know. It's hard for me to rank them. I think if I go on a fondness scale, I have to go with 2010 because that sure. that was you know for my personal experience that was the first playoff team I ever covered. I thought oh, I okay. I thought I was the curse. I I covered the Angels in 2000 2001. I switched to the Dodgers in 2002. The Angels win the World Series. I covered the Dodgers for a couple years thinking, "Oh, well, they're always in the playoffs." And they had an awesome pitching staff and no offense, and they didn't make the playoffs. And then I go to the Giants after the 2003 season when the Giants won 100 games and I think, "Well, at least I'm going to be covering a good team." And they had Barry Bonds and everything. No postseason from 04 all the way until 2010. That was the first year I actually covered a team that made the playoffs. And that team, you know, went obviously all the way through and won the World Series. And so that will always be the one that's the most fond for me. Uh, and I think for fans, too, just because it was somebody had to be that team, right? That could do what Mays, right. McCovey, Will Clark, none of them could could do. Um and I don't think they were the best of those three World Series teams. Uh, I think if you were to Stratomatic play them off each other, I think 2012 would probably win the most games. Yep. But um, but yeah, the 2010 team for me, I think, will always be the the one that has the most fond memories. Now, give me your take on the logistics of the postseason insofar as one thing. When I started covering the World Series home and away, uh, and you know, in a couple couple of years, I was I was at some of the the division series. And they're exhausting. They are just the traveling, you know, when, when I would go from Boston to LA back to maybe Boston if, if, or Houston to LA back to, it, it was exhausting. And I'm a weenie. Like I, I'm not a, a beat writer. Like I'm, I sit in my couch and maybe that's why maybe I've got flabby 
uh, a flabby stomach when it comes to this sort of stuff. And I just don't have those beat writer abs where you're used to just grind, grind, grind. But an extra month, because the baseball season is already ridiculously long, the extra month, at what point do you snap? At what point are you going like, ah, this is, and especially in 2010, if that's the first time you've experienced that, did you have a moment where you said, this is a lot? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I remember thinking, gosh, how do Yankee writers do this year after year after year? Because you don't get paid anything extra for covering the postseason, at least in, in most uh in, in, in most newspaper beats or, or, or you know, most beat writers make the same amount of money regardless. You either get your October mostly off or you're working the hardest that you've worked all year. And the hardest part is you want to be at your best. You know you're writing for your biggest audience. You're putting tons of pressure on yourself. You know, you want to write the heck out of every big moment. And those moments are there for you to kind of springboard off of because it's all, all the stakes are raised. And yet at the same time, you know, you could leave the ballpark at two in the morning and you have to be, you know, on board a flight four hours later uh, because you got to yeah. get to the next city for the next workout. I mean, I, I would say you probably average about three hours of, of sleep a night for a solid month while working every day. I mean, it is it is the most exhausting thing to cover uh, a team in the postseason. And, and the Giants, of course, you know, it's, it's not like um, – you know, you can just take the Amtrak from Philadelphia to New York or, you know, or, or the subway series or something like that. I mean, you're flying to Cincinnati on and there's no nonstops to Cincinnati and uh, St. Louis and Detroit and some of these cities, Kansas City, there were very few nonstops too. So, you know, I, I remember I remember sitting on a plane uh, in going from Kansas City to O'Hare and then connecting to uh, San Francisco that left at like five, you know, 45 in the morning. And sitting across from me on the aisle on that plane was Andy McCulloch, who was at the Kansas City Star at the time. And I, I had heard about how, how great he was. I'd read his huge Lorenzo Cain feature. I thought, this guy is really an up-and-coming star in our business. And I'd never met him before. And uh, and so I, I'm like, should I bother him? So I went on and just said hello. And uh, he, he did not seem very enthused to, to make my acquaintance because I think he was mostly asleep and he just didn't want to be bothered by any humans at that moment, which I totally understand. But that was the first time that I met Andy McCulloch when we were both kind of sleep deprived toward the end of that, uh, that postseason slog. And so the reason I'm laughing is because the first time I met Andy was after game five of the 2006. 16 World Series. What was the bonkers one between the Astros and Dodgers? That was 2000. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was 17, so that, wasn't it? Yeah. 17, 2017, uh, game five, which was the wildest baseball game I have ever seen, that anyone's ever seen. It was, I mean, in retrospect, the Astros are probably cheating. However, just there were home runs flying left and right. There were explosions in the, you know, there were, it was bananas. And it also took about 17 hours. And all the writers had to write something that could live up to this amazing bananas game. And I was up until four o'clock, I think, writing an article. And then I had to fly out to Los Angeles the next day. And I had about three hours of sleep. And I'm in the Houston airport. And I, I see Andy. And I'd never met him before. But I, I recognized him. I went up and I said, hey, how are you doing? I'm, I'm Grant Brisby. And he looked right through me <laughs> yep. and just sort of staggered a bit. And said, hey. Yeah. <laughs> and and yep. then he flitted in and out of our dimensional space, and then he was gone. Like, <laughs> so I was actually going to tell that story before you brought it up. But, like, that to me, like, defines postseason travel and postseason writing because he was gone. He was a phantom. 
And I've talked to him since, and he's not like that all the time. No. Uh, and now he's a valued colleague. But uh, yeah, that's so funny that we both have our own let's meet Andy. Oh, my God. He is not of this earth. Yeah, moment. yeah, that is funny. So um, the the one that I had that really snuck up on me, probably the, the latest I've ever uh, stayed at the ballpark. And I, you know, after 2012 in, in uh, Detroit, I remember walking out and it was sunrise. And that's when I was working for Comcast. So I didn't have a newspaper deadline. So I could really you know, take time to write. And I was also doing like tons of TV stuff after the game. So it was hard for me to even sit down to start writing until a lot of people had already filed. Um, So I remember walking out with uh, um, John Morosi and it was daybreak in Detroit. Um, It's funny, the World Series, the same people I'd be, I'd be there at the very end of, of, uh, of the night, 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m. It'd be Jeff Passan, Jason Stark, maybe John Morosi and me, and we'd be the only ones left in the press box. But the latest I ever was in the press box was 2008 at the All-Star Game at Yankee Stadium. And that was the the game that went 15 innings. I feel like Dan Uglo went like 0 for 9 with three errors with so many yes. chances to win the game. The AL won. Of course, the one player who didn't appear was Tim Linscombe, who was in the hospital. Um, but I, I remember I remember that that was before Uber and Lyft. And you would have kind of these shady guys who would hang around with their town cars. And for like 100 bucks, they would give you a ride back to Manhattan. It was really uh, not a very good scene to try to get – uh, out of either New York ballpark and try to get back to Manhattan. And so I finally finagled a ride and I got back to my hotel and I think, okay, it's like five in the morning. Finally, I can sleep. And then I realized, oh, wait a second. My flight leaves in like 45 minutes. So I, <laughs> I, I just, it didn't even occur to me that like, you're not going to get a chance to sleep tonight, buddy. You're going to have to go back to your hotel, pack up and immediately go to the airport. And it just didn't dawn on me. I just figured once I'm done, I can go back. I can catch a few hours of sleep. And I had to like, I was just racing. I was all arms and legs, throwing stuff in my bag, uh, uh, got to the airport and I barely made my flight. But it was like that whole realization as I got back to the room, literally I walk into the room and I'm like, oh no, I, I got to go now. I, it's, <laughs> how it popped in my head that way. I'll never forget that. That was just so disorienting. And let's take a little break to hear from one of our sponsors. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash Giants for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Giants for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Real quick, because I know everyone listening wants to talk about Giants championships in recent moments like that. But I just one more story, and this is, again, from the 2017 World Series. Uh, So my writing ritual is that usually I will leave – Fairly, I'll get out of the press box uh, relatively quickly because I want to go back to my hotel. I want to be isolated. I want to have my own space. I want to put on some music. I want to have a cocktail, that sort of stuff. And I do that, and this is my routine, and, and I'm pretty adept at it. I, I've done it quite a few times. 
But there was one night where I just couldn't get the story. And it was the game before that game five. It was after game four. And I'm trying to really make like a, a story sing a little bit in a game that wasn't the most exciting. And it was a lot of, I'm, I'm just beating myself up. And when I'm doing that, well, all of a sudden the, the, I'm having another cocktail. And I generally, I don't get blitzed when I write. Usually. This time, however, <laughs> I had maybe one too many cocktails and at four o'clock at night or so, I just, I, I just, uh, you know, I'm just going to rest my eyes for a second. And then I wake up and my deadline was three hours ago and I'm panicking and I'm panicking and I get open. I get, oh gosh, you know, I'm going to explain this to my editors and here's my hat. And I, I opened the laptop and I had filed the story and I don't remember writing the last quarter of it. And it's fine. Wow. It's fine. Wow. It's fine. Yeah. And, and it published and it's doing well. No, no one knows the difference. And it's and I'm reading it and I'm waiting for the part where it starts going like, and you know the thing about gun control. <laughs> you know, it's like, but yeah. no, it's, it's fine. And so that was my, yeah, it's a different animal. But anyways, so when you're doing the 2010 World Series and that's your first one, I mean, did it get easier for you? 2012, 2014, did you start to figure out these tricks and tips and, and ways to, to get yourself through that slog? Well, for, for Deadline, the way it got easier for me is I just switched jobs and, and, and left the newspaper and, and was working for Comcast. <laughs> I, I guess yeah. – and, and you know, I, I, two of my three years that I was at Comcast, the Giants won the World Series. Um, uh, 12, 13, and, and 14 were my years there. Um, and the go back. The only regret that I have really is, you know, I remember Matt Cain's perfect game. I, I wrote like six different stories, you know, because I was like, okay, I can, I can, you know, I've got the running uh, gamer that we sort of had as a formatted thing with, with little subcategories for pitching and hitting and stuff. And, uh, and then I had, you know, uh, the main story. And then I had a, a story about, uh, you know, probably walking areas, a story about Juan Uribe. Um, and I remember walking out of the ballpark at like almost day, daybreak, then too, but walking out and thinking, oh, the newspapers are probably in the racks by now. I could go out and, oh yeah, I can't, I can't go get a souvenir paper because I, I would always keep, you know, the copies of the paper from every big event I've covered or, or um, right, you know, uh, like Sean Green's four home run game when I cover the Dodgers, things like that. I've got like thirty copies of that, um, and that's that's the one bummer is that for my time at Comcast, I don't have those tangible things that I could one day like scrapbook away. Other than printing them off the internet, I've saved them all. I've saved all my Word documents, and I'm glad because a lot of that stuff's been scrubbed off their website now, unfortunately. But um, yeah, the reason it got easier is because I didn't have the deadline pressure. So you know, I would self-file, and I would file whenever I was done, and 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 that was uh, that was it. You know, I have a suggestion for that. Okay, hear me out. So you go on Cameo. Do you know what Cameo is? No. Where you pay you pay like C tier celebrities to say happy birthday to a friend or to you or oh right you, okay you, okay so you 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 pay someone to read your Comcast stories and then you turn them into a vinyl record that you can hang on your wall oh, that would that's be your nice. keepsake can I yeah. get Gilbert Gottfried to do it <laughs> no, no it's, 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 it's act, actually what I was thinking is. Is you do, you do Jeff you do Jeff Goldblum and, and he, he's, he's doing, <laughs> so Matt Cain's perfect game yeah so you could you, let's you talk have, about particles yeah <laughs> we have we let's just get all of our celebrity impressions out right now no I 
that is self-filing and doing all that and that that does take a lot of the pressure off i mean you know when i was writing about the giants in those world series runs no one was telling me what in the heck to do at mccovey chronicles i'm just making crap up just like i always did um and it that was so when you had like a branded belt home run in the 18th inning you could just take your sweet time i mean they wanted it up quickly in theory but you also wanted to make sure that you got this weird cold looking game down the way you want it and i really and i really appreciate that with the athletic too it's not like you've got to make that that you know you're not trying to put something out on a physical form you get to take your time with the story right and again you know i think that you know they want us to have something that's up relatively soon but you sure. know I, I would always think about it like sports illustrated you know um everybody's writing their game story on uh, you know uh, um colorado's miracle uh um, Hail Mary to beat uh, Michigan. I remember that. That's one of the first like Sports Illustrated game stories that I read and was blown away that that you could have that level of detail and, and richness in a story about a game. Um, yeah. And of course, the reason that they were able to have it um, uh, and, and the newspapers didn't is they had an extra three days to work on it. Um, sure. But you know, maybe we don't take three days, but three hours can make a world of difference. And especially when we don't have to drop everything to write a separate headline on every little transactional piece of news. Um, so yeah, that's it, it. Honestly, it's, it's, it's kind of saved my sanity to be able to cover the team the way we cover it for the athletic now. And, and, you know, there is a, a whole new pressure. I think I, I feel this, I don't know if you do, but you know, you can't just go along and put your head down and write game stories and notebooks and tell you about, you know, how Angel Pagan's hamstring is doing today. I mean, you have to write something that is a little different, that is a little bit more yeah. big picture. And there's a lot of pressure, I think, that I feel that comes with that to try to give people something, paying customers something that they're not going to get, you know, from covering the beat writers. But the trade-off is that, you know, I don't necessarily feel like we have to be like a silo or a clearinghouse for all of your Giants information at the same time, which, you know, being comprehensive was sort of how I felt I was best defining you know, whether I was good at my job or not in the past. I think that that's definitely changed. Yeah, no, I mean, that's how it used to be for me too. It used to be, I'm going to write about the Giants signing, uh, I don't know, uh, not just Darren Ruff, but like, you know, Justin Christian signed a minor league deal and I I would be covering it on the cover Chronicles because what else? And if something like that didn't happen, I mean, I prayed for the Justin Christian signings. If that didn't happen, then it's like, uh... Giants players as Game of Thrones characters? <laughs> I don't know. Like, can I just make crap up because I needed the content? Um, but well, Speaking <laughs> of, by the way, I, I took the personality <laughs> test and I'm Tyrion Lannister. I did not think I was nearly so so decrepit, but... Uh, Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I... I took that and I got I haven't watched Community, so that doesn't that doesn't ring any bells for me. But you're uh, but after that after that I was uh uh Chandler Bing, which could I be any more typecast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well Abed is, is is a little out there, a little weird, a little quirky, so yeah, you okay. know, I could I could see some stuff going on there, yeah. All right, I'll take it. All right, well, we appreciate your patience through the meta portion of the Giants championships and talking about uh, how we felt through it. But I have a question for you. Maybe not a question, but let, let, let's search something together. Give me 
an underappreciated, maybe underrated, maybe overlooked moment from one of the three championships. It doesn't have to be something super obscure. It doesn't have to be the the pitch that uh, you know Aubrey Huff laid off in 2010, but something that doesn't get as much play as Cody Ross or Travis Ishikawa. Uh, something just a little nugget that you always think of. You know, boy, this could have been different. Uh, I tell you what, one thing I think of is Travis Ishikawa's walk in Atlanta. Uh, Son of a, don't take mine. Oh, did I take yours? Oh, no. It's okay. I I have a vast repository. So go ahead. This is. (laughs) So this is Travis Ishikawa when he's still like the Travis Ishikawa who was desperately putting pressure on himself to stick in the big leagues, not the Travis Ishikawa who was kind of at peace with the fact his career was, was what it was, came back, tried to make the most of it, and really played like the pressure was off in 2014. This was 2010 Ishikawa where... You know, he kind of was handed a job and fell on his face and, and was sort of scared out of his wits. And he's up there. And I remember he he told me later that his legs were shaking as he's up there as, a, I believe, a pinch hitter, right, in the ninth inning against, uh, was it Craig Kimbrell? No. It, it was, was Craig Kimbrell. It was Craig Kimbrell. And he drew a walk with two outs. And then Freddie Sanchez bounced a two-out single. And then they brought in uh, Dunn, the lefty, and Aubrey Huff, you know, uh, hucked that line drive out there. And Ishikawa scored the tying run. Uh, in, in a game that you know Sergio Romo was about to be the goat for giving up that homer to Eric Hinsky that blew Jonathan Sanchez's win and 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 had the Giants set up to lose uh, what was going to be a very pivotal pivotal loss in in that series that was just such a razor's edge series uh, at Atlanta in the 2010 NLDS. So Ishikawa drawing that walk, I think uh, if that doesn't happen. All the other sliding doors probably don't happen either. Yeah, that's okay. Because I remember that was the series where we were everyone was introduced to Craig Kimball. And he would come out and he sort of looked like he had the the Roy Oswalt physique where he he just sort of stopped at like five foot nine, five foot ten, and you were expecting, okay, well you're a power pitcher, and then he would throw. And holy shnikes, wait, he could, especially back then, that was some stuff that you just weren't expecting. And you see postseason hero Cody Ross leads the inning off, and he he pops out. And then Travis Ishikawa's up, and it's uh, the Giants are behind. They, they're losing by a run, and you've got Travis Ishikawa as one of your last hopes. And that walk, man, he just drew that walk. And I, up until 2014, I was always – a proponent of hey, let's let's not forget about Travis Ishikawa's walk because that's the walk that started everything, and so that's that's a good one. I always think about from that same World Series, uh, Ian Kinsler, and I'm not sure that that's like a super underrated moment because I think people remember that there was a ball that just <laughs> it almost went out, but really did not. It hit the top of the wall, but to me, if if that goes out. I'm not sure the Giants win that game. I know that Derek Holland came in for the Rangers and walked, gosh, you know, way too many people. And the Giants ended up it ended up being a laugher. But if Kinsler's ball goes out, if that's a home run, I you know then Matt Cain's gripping the ball a little bit tighter. You, you've got a different sort of game plan when you're up at the plate. Maybe the Giants are a little bit more tense. They're trying to make something happen, trying to force something. And if the Giants don't win that game and they head into Texas and I don't know. I think everything is a little bit different if Ian Kinsler's ball, I mean, we talk about why couldn't McCovey have hit the ball three feet higher. Rangers fans get to say, why couldn't Ian Kinsler have hit the ball a freaking millimeter higher? 
especially now when uh, it would have cleared the fence by about nine feet and uh, as, the f- <laughs> as the fences are going to be constructed uh, whenever they're playing baseball at Oracle Park again. I'll give you 25 more uh, appearances, 25 more moments. And that was every time Santiago Casilla touched a baseball uh, in the, his Giants postseason career. Uh, he gave up a total of, of two runs. Uh, I'm sorry, three runs to earn uh, 092 ERA. He was the winning pitcher in a Giants World Series clincher. Never forget, he was the winning pitcher in 2012 at Detroit. Um, So not many people can say they've won a a winning, uh, clinching World Series game. you got Jeremy Affelt in Kansas City. You've got Lincecum in Texas. And you've got Santiago Casilla. And, you know, we all remember the way that he was the closer and kind of melted down. And he, uh, you know... uh, Pitched just, I think, once against the Cubs in, in the series in 2016 because Bruce Bochy felt like it was he was going to be throwing him to the crowd and he was going to get booed and thought that it would just destroy him if he did that. And he was the one guy who didn't appear in that uh, in that meltdown uh, where they lost to the Cubs in, in uh, um, the ninth inning in, in 2016. But prior to that, uh, this guy was just lock-solid awesome. And I don't think that he gets nearly enough credit for just how good he was. And this leads into one of my very, very favorite factlets about the whole Giants championship run is that, and okay, so 2014, Casilla didn't allow an earned run the entire postseason. He pitched three scoreless in, in against the Nationals. He pitched three and two-thirds scoreless against the Cardinals. He is their closer. He is pitching well. He's coming off a season in which he had a 1.70 ERA. Uh, he had taken over the closer's role, and he was a closer at the top of his game. And in the World Series, he pitched two-thirds of an inning. A seven-game World Series with a closer pitching at the top of his game, pitching two-thirds of an inning. The game changed after that to where managers made their their postseason pitching strategy very bullpen heavy. And so you'll never see that again. And it, it there's a lot of reasons for it. It's just sort of, you know, there's a blowout here. Then the, the Giants and Royals were sort of trading blowouts. And then he had the, the legend of Madison Bumgarner in game seven, of course. But the idea that a, a closer, top of his game, pitching well in a seven-game World Series, pitched two-thirds of an inning. I just – I love that fact that it's just – it's bizarre. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a great point. And, and it wasn't like those were non-leveraged innings either. I mean, there was the – I'm sure he threw an inning in the 18-inning game against Washington that, you know, was do or die. He, he recorded two saves against the Nationals. He recorded two saves against the Cardinals. So clearly sure. he was pitching in very leveraged, closer-type spots. Um, and you know, I, I think that, uh, uh, I'm just trying to replay every world series game in my head from 2014. Obviously game seven is the easy one. It's like, you know, they use Bumgarner as your starter as your best closer, but, uh, yeah, that I, I hadn't realized that he only appeared, uh, it was two appearances, I guess. So Bochy was probably using him just to match up. Um, yeah, no, he so he appeared in game two uh, when the Giants were behind seven to two. He just came into the eighth inning, pitched, uh, gotten out, got a strikeout. Uh, and then in game three, the Giants were down uh, by a run. And so he came in, they were at home. So he was like the closer trying to keep things close. And he came in the ninth inning, uh, pitched a third of an inning, got a strikeout. So he faced two batters in the World Series, struck both of them out. Uh, he threw nine pitches that World Series and just that that's it. And it's not his fault. He wasn't hurting. Just the weirdness and, and a little bit different game. I think now you might have like seen him in the 
fourth inning or something of one of these games with the way managers manage the World Series now. But yeah, I just love that because he was just so good. And yet, where was he? I don't know. Yeah, I'm looking at that line in baseball reference right now. And there it is. Uh, strikeouts per nine, 27.0. Can't do much better than that. That's pretty good. <laughs> good job. But could you give me a little bit more? No. Uh, no, Santiago Casilla, I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but he has perhaps the lowest ERA in Giants history, save for Christy Mathewson. I, I can't remember if he's above or, or right above or right below Christy Mathewson. And I know relievers are a different sort of creature. And I know that you can't just look at ERA of relievers, but when it comes to preventing runs, and if you've got a guy with a hundred appearances or more in a Giants uniform, there was no one better at preventing runs save for maybe Christy Mathewson, than Santiago Casilla. And he doesn't get enough credit because of the weirdness is how his Giants career ended. But when he was good, he was good for years and he was yeah, awesome. Yeah, and I wonder what they're going to do about the Wall of Fame with him because he doesn't have an all-star appearance. And uh, he was only a Giant for seven years, not the requisite nine, which is the GT Snow Roll, as we know. Um, but I, yeah. I got to think they'll they'll have to find a way I mean, if Randy Moffitt can be on the Wall of Fame, uh, and God love you, Randy Moffitt, nothing personal, but, you know, Gary Lavelle can be on the Hall of Fame. I, I kind of feel like all those four core guys should be should be on the wall somewhere. Uh, you know, it, it's a very simple addition, I think. It's just, it, say, won a championship with the Giants. Just add that addendum. They've already changed it before where they uh, – did they change it for Snow or did they create it for Snow? No, years? I think they created it for Snow because they were going to do – they were going to do all-star appearance or – 10 years as a giant. And then they realized JT only had nine. So then Peter McGowan, who loved JT Snow, uh, thought, well, you know, let's just do nine then. That way JT gets in. And then they started giving us this uh, sort of uh, BS about, uh, well, it's it, nine is a baseball number. There's nine innings in the game. It just it just was poetry. It sings. It's poetry. It's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're doing this for JT. Which, hey, you know what? No one begrudges that. JT Snow, good giant. He deserves to be on the Wall of Fame too, so. Sure. Well, you know what? They also, if they just wait a little bit, then they retired his number and he appeared in that one game with the Giants and he technically got that that 10th year. So maybe just add Santiago Casilla for, what, uh, two more years? Just every, just sort of like have a little ceremony for him every year uh, for the next two years. It Actually, even better. Don't tell the fans what you're doing and just have it come across the, the transaction wire like Giants signed Santiago Casilla to a minor league contract <laughs> or major league contract and add him to the 40-man roster. And then, ah! And then, well, no, it's just to get him on the wall of fame. But I listen, I, again, I, you, you rattle off some names. Atley Hammaker, good giant. Uh, but him being on there just because he made an all-star team, does that really speak to his contributions when you're comparing them to someone like a Santiago Garcia because he made that one all-star game, that infamous all-star game. I, I think you got to make that addendum to say, and also if you won a championship with the Giants or contributed to a championship giant, championship with the Giants, because I wouldn't mind Travis Ishikawa up there on the wall of fame. I wouldn't mind Cody Ross, uh, you know, players like that. And certainly you got to have the core four up there. Make Heck, stick them in one plaque. Just shove them all together and just here's here's the core four and have a ceremony for, for all four of them. I, I think it's a big, long wall. It, it's uh, They got a lot of room on it and they <laughs> own the ballpark so they can make their own rules. And so why not? They should put up everybody up there that they want to and not let 
anything stand in the way. Don't be overly dogmatic about it. Just ce- celebrate. You got a lot to celebrate. So celebrate everybody who deserves to be celebrated. So on the wall, you, you can see it from, from uh, the street, from Third Street. Uh, you can, or from King, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, when you go to the press entrance, they have like murals sort of thing where it's like Giants Championships and then it lists all the years and Giants MVPs and it kind of lists. And, and some of the spots don't have a lot of space. Like you can't add on to them. And like, I don't think the Giants, I can't remember which ones exactly, but I'm, I'm pretty sure like they can't win any more MVPs because there's no more room. Like they'll have to write in a Sharpie underneath. And I remember <laughs> before 2010 looking at all the space they had for world championships. And I just sort of laughed like, boy, are they optimistic. And this is, this is like 2009. I'm like, yep, just do, why didn't you have a bigger space? Because you could fit like, 10 more in there and wow they're trying they're I'll, I'll give them that they're trying well well they 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 uh they counted on winning many gonfalons grant many gonfalons <laughs> all right this has been episode 56 of the bags and brisby podcast this was a fun one i enjoyed this one uh, talking about giants championships thanks so much for listening we will be back on Boy, it'd be easy if I knew what day it was. What day is it? We'll be back on Monday. We will be back on Monday, and we hope you will listen then. Thank you so much for listening now.